Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I am... Tessa actually wrote a word on our month of focus faithfulness. And um, I was going to send it out yesterday, but um, the Holy Spirit just prompted me to wait. And so I wanted her to share. um, Let me read you what she said. Um, She said, I had a recent recalibrating interaction with God recently, and I became so focused on my own performance that I missed and even cursed the new thing he was doing. For some time, I have heard him in certain ways, often written down in word form, and I love the way he speaks to me, still do, but what I noticed was that I wasn't hearing this way like I used to. It really focused um, a lot on Cece's word, um, uh, the vision that God gave her about how we become extremely acquainted. And this is a good thing. Think about when you weren't acquainted. When Remember those days when you didn't even know you could hear God's voice? Does anybody remember that day? And what were you thinking then? Like, you know, well, I'm just a wretched sinner, can't hear God. I don't know. What were you thinking? I'm too busy. He's too whatever. And, and then you realize it wasn't a hard thing, right? Right? It's not a hard thing. And then that next stage was, you know, what are we going to do with this thing we're hearing, you know? And then we began to practice that, and that was so awkward because we were just clumsy, right? Because we just had these big feet and big weapons. We didn't know what to do. We were shooting everybody we saw. Remember that day? Anybody? No? And now he's uh, tweaking um, how we interacted with him, much like, you know, happens with children. You know, you don't, when a baby's born, you don't start talking to them about mortgages on a house payment, and I mean, uh, interest on a house payment and the bank account, right? You're just trying to teach them to eat and poop in the right place, much like, right? And you hope, remember that day where you just hope you don't have to change a diaper anymore and they can make it to the toilet when they throw up, all those kinds of things are just more helpful to you, right? So you don't have to do so much cleanup. Well, that's just the way it is in the supernatural, just like you don't beat your kid when they have an accident, right? I mean, have many, right? Well, maybe some people did, but they weren't supposed to. But anyway, right? So God is so excited about the trial and error. And um, he told me a couple of things today, and it was from Tessa's word. One was, behold, I do a new thing. And the new thing is through, not out. He's a God of through, not out. And I'm going to preach on that today. So I want Tessa to come and share her little recalibration before I get started. And yeah, Aaron was going to give you a, 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 a rounding standing ovation. It's coming out for me. I was like, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I love you. Um, well, I think it's just a exciting, exciting times. Um, I don't even know where to start. I, I feel like um, he's just expanding the, the senses and he's expanding how my faith points toward his voice. And so I think what 
what he's doing in me is, is he's breaking me out of that old, um, just any sense of control that I had over the process. And he's making it to where um, I can just live in complete trust and rest in the expressions of my personal design that he made. And so it's really beautiful. Um, and so the process has looked like a lot of inner dialogue at first that was negative toward myself, which has been the whole journey, I think, of my life is walking out of um, self-hatred and judgment toward my own design because I just took on a lot from, you know, my upbringing. I took on a lot of um, things that were never me. And so then emotional responsibility for everyone, like a sponge, bring it in, bring it in. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And then, you know, that leads to a lot of self-hatred and judgment toward myself. Um, and he's had to really break down that and redefine me, what's really me. And so it's really beautiful. Um, what he did for me was that, you know, uh, I am a feeler, and so some days I wake up, I would say a lot of days I wake up and I'm like not feeling um, my 100% self. And so the other day I woke up and I was having some self-judgment about basically how I used to write and hear him in this certain way and how it always flowed in a certain way. And so I've noticed that... Personally, I, I am sensitive toward him, and so I actually shift, but my mind doesn't know I've shifted. And so then I actually have judgment toward myself that I've shifted, but I was actually in line with him. So he shifted and I shifted, but then I come back and I have this logical judgment toward myself that I didn't you know do the thing that I used to do and that would have been the checkmark thing that would have made me good that day or righteous or whatever and so then I was realizing that you know I was having all this inner dialogue and he said stop stop and he just gave me this really pointed quit cursing what I'm doing quit cursing the new thing I'm doing and I really had to find this is good and this is bad. And so if this is bad, then this must mean that I'm, it's that equation thing that Cece talked about, that if, if there's not this outcome that I think is the thing that needs to happen, A plus B equals C, then if there's not this outcome, then what am I doing wrong? It must be an issue of my own faithfulness. I must not be faithful enough. And so then I was internally cursing what he was actually doing as a new thing. And so I feel like there are these things in us that, that we have defined and we have actually been putting words toward cursing, thoughts toward cursing, and it's actually him. And he's actually trying to shift us into this new place of hearing him. Because when he said that, then I was able to say, oh my gosh, you're right. And I repented right then. And then I can't even tell you how many things unfolded because it was a block it was a block of my own personal faith eyes. I, my own faith eyes were not pointed toward the way he was speaking, the way he was talking. It was pointed toward how I thought it should be or how I thought it should come, my own definitions. And so then in that moment when I was able to 
repent and say, no, this is, you just define this right here as the thing that I think is bad. You just redefined it as good. And so he said, don't call what I call good, bad. Don't call what I call good, bad. And so then I, when I shifted, it was so amazing because he just started showing me all this, these things he's been showing me. Like I've been speaking through this and I've been speaking through this. And even one example was that I had the other night on Wednesday was, was that he, even in that moment, I would say on Wednesday, I was, it was trying to sneak back in, you know, and it was like, well, you don't have anything like you don't hear him, all this weird stuff. And then I looked up in the sky and I was like, I know it was like my spirit said, there's something there. There's something there, but I didn't know what it was in the clouds. There was like some kind of picture. And I was like, I don't see a dang thing. Like, I don't see nothing in the clouds. But I took my phone out and I was like, I know there's something there. And so I took a picture of it. And then when I came back, when I came to church, I looked at the picture again and he showed me this amazing phoenix. It was like so obvious in the sky. I was like, oh my gosh. And that was what he ended up doing with us women on Wednesday night was this phoenix rising. And like he's saying, you're a trailblazer, like you're on fire, rise up. And so I think that I just want to encourage us that we take, we re-look at these personal definitions of faithfulness and we re, re take a look again. Like mom said a few weeks ago in her at prayer, she said, he's saying, look again, look again, look again. And so we take those things and look again at what we've personally defined in certain ways. Um, and he defined this fo this month of fo focused faithfulness as can you faith you can can you be faithful in what you focus on? Can you shift from there might be a little thing right there, but what is what is he focused on? Like that might be a part of it, but I so focus on that one part that then I miss what he's really saying. Um, and so it's just getting realigned with that he's actually wanting to have this expression through us and our design is so good. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that's all I have. <laughs> Good, right? I'll send her word out later so you can feast. So um, I, I wanted to start out with a couple of scriptures. Um, I am still on um, the Watchmen series, just in case um, you can't see it. I was looking at my PowerPoint. What did I make? I made three little PowerPoints, four maybe. Um, and so it, <clears throat> I think God is um, redefining what Tessa was saying. You know, I think there's a, a rule you have to establish in your life that nothing's too hard for God, yeah. even changing you. And the, it's the way that God changes us I want to talk about mainly today. Um, and let's turn to let's turn to second let's, uh, second Peter, let's start there. Sorry, I have a lot of scriptures. Now let's go to Hebrews 8. 
Now, my after we finish talking about the Watchmen, which maybe maybe Wednesday or Lynn's gonna preach Wednesday. Y'all pray for my mom. She's having a little procedure on Thursday, and then maybe next Sunday I'll finish up the Watchmen. We'll see, and then we're gonna talk about the temple because remember, you're you're rebuilding your wall to be able to build your temple, right? So we'll see how it goes, right? You know, I don't know. Um, I wanted to I wanted to read Hebrews eight. Um, now this is the crowning point of what we are saying. This is the Hebrews eight verse one in the Passion. We have a magnificent king priest. Does everybody have a Passion Bible? Everybody, everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. You got a Passion Bible, man? Okay. Just checking. We have a magnificent king priest who ministers for us at the right hand of God. So it tells us where his location is. He is enthroned with honor next to the throne of ma- of the majesty on high. He serves in the holy sanctuary of the true heavenly tabernacle set up by God and not by men. Since every high priest is appointed to offer both sacrifices and gifts, so the Messiah, Messiah also had to bring some sacrifice. But since he didn't qualify to be an earthly priest, remember Cece talked about this on Wednesday night, and there were already priests who offered sacrifices prescribed by the law, he offered in heaven a Perfect. What's perfect mean? Perfect. Yeah. Sacrifice. Five. The priests on earth serve in a temple that is but a copy modeled after the heavenly sanctuary, a shadow of the reality. For Moses began to construct the tabernacle. God warned him. Now, I love this verse because it tells us there's already a model in heaven and, he, and it tells us that when God tells man something, it also comes with a warning that says, do it, you must precisely follow the pattern I revealed to you. Do it in the pattern I prescribed. I promise you this would clear up everything on earth. This one statement would solve all problems everywhere that humanity has right now, is that we have gotten away from following the prescribed way. And if I was God, if you were God, I mean, because you have a prescribed way of stuff. I sat in in the room yesterday with some people, and they have a prescribed way, right? And so I was trying to I was trying to get in there saying, but your way's the law. It's not relational. God's way is relational. That's the difference. So see, that's why on earth we, we have to erect so many laws. Because of verse 10, the covenant that I'll one day establish, I will embed my laws on their thoughts. That's always been his desire. From the beginning of time, God just wanted to put his ways on your thoughts, in your mind, in your head. That's all he's ever wanted. And then when you see a situation, you wouldn't even really have to ask for advice. Right? You would just do the orchestrated way because your heart wanted to please the one that made you more than you get your way. It's always been the thing. You must precisely follow the pattern. But now, verse 6, but now Jesus the Messiah has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs since he is the catalyst of a better covenant 
which contains far more wonderful promises. For if that first covenant, what was the first covenant? It was when Moses went to the mountain, when Abraham got the promise. All of those are the promises and covenants of God, right? They're all written in the Old Testament for us to see. Just depends on what point of life that they were at. He kept making promises to mankind. Do you see it? With Noah, he did it again. He just kept doing it, right? It says the covenant which contained a far more wonderful promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. But God revealed the defect and limitation of the first when he said to his people. Now think about how cool God is. He actually set up a way that would fail. Listen, I propose that the Old Testament is just proof that man can't do it without Jesus. It's a bunch of stories about a bunch of people doing a bunch of crazy stuff that wanted to serve God, maybe didn't want to serve God. Who knows? God spoke to them audibly, and then when Jesus came, he gave the Holy Spirit. It's better. Now, I know we all just wish he would speak audibly, but I propose that there would be a different standard if he did. Now we live under the standard, the covenant of grace, which you, you're, I don't know if you know this, but you're swimming in grace. You're in a pool of grace. And so when you're like going, I don't see grace. Well, it's just because you're in it. You're just in it. You don't even know how much grace, everything that you do is grace filled. Swimming in grace. This is why he said, look, the day will come. This is what God said, declares the Lord. When I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah, by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers who led them by the hand out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I rejected them, says God. Verse 10, for here is the covenant I will one day establish. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is we're living in this covenant. Okay? I will embed my laws within their thoughts. I will fasten them onto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. That is all God wants. He made you, constructed you, fashioned you, created you, plucked you down here on earth to do this one thing, to let him do the thing that's on his heart, give you his way inside you. If your way, his way was in you, you wouldn't need any external laws. Right? You know, in my lifetime, everybody sues everybody now. When I was a child, that wasn't a thing. Like if you were an idiot and your kid was up on high somewhere and they fell out, they would just say, well, it was bad parenting. That was all. They wouldn't sue the manufacturer of the playground equipment. I mean, really, right? There's all kinds of ways that we've decided it's someone else's fault, right? And so, see, that's the thing with God's prescribed way. It creates peace. So if I do not have peace, if I live in fear, I am out of step with his will. It's an easy indicator. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you unknowledgeable of what needs to be embedded in your mind to live fear-free. 
Listen, I'd, I've, I've been counseling for 35 years now. I've never met anyone that fear didn't walk in the door, including me, at some point in your life. But, there's a comma there and a but. But, God said don't fear. So I must spend as much time or more, whatever is necessary, to live by that prescribed way, don't fear. So that means I need to spend some time educating myself on what fear is and how to get rid of it. If I don't do that, then I will just live a day, then a week, then a month, then 10 years go by, and I have constructed a really small tent around my life to make sure fear doesn't have its way. And my life is this big. When he said you can do impossible things, we won't. With fear, we won't. We'll say impossible is impossible. We'll raise our kids to know impossible is impossible. But with God, Jesus said it. He was like, what, what do you mean? With God, everything's possible. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what Jesus said. So that's got to be what we do. Come on. That was weak. Weak, weak, weak. Verse 11. And the result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. The result of what? His ways embedded. That means my first thoughts are God's thoughts. Listen, are your first thoughts God's thoughts? It's interesting that God so wanted co-creators that even when he made the Garden of Eden, when Adam came along, he gave Adam the assignment to co-create. That means when they got a name, that's why some of y'all need a name change, right? When you get a name... Right? The person is assigning your identity. That's what names are supposed to be. Yeah. You know, some of us, you know, we just, we got named after, I see, I got named after a famous sing, singer, Teresa Brewer. Does anybody know her? Anyone? Anyone? No one's 90 in here? What's up? <laughs> That's who I got named after. Don't know her. But my, that's, that's how I was named. And then my mom decided that my grandpa's name, her dad, who she loved, who died young. Um, he died young, not my mom. She's still alive. She's 90-some. Um, uh, that she would put his name, she would embed his name inside my name. And so then, of course, my name is spelled weird. And then everybody, you know, my whole life has said, are you sure that's how you spell that? I don't know. It's just how you spell it. So our, whenever God gave Adam the assignment to name the animals, he became a co-creator with God. Do you see it? Can you see it? That he gave them their names and then they acted out of their names. So that should show us God's heart from the very beginning. And so he gave you the assignment to speak over things and give them their identity. So let's just think about what we use our little, this little thing, this little wagger for. 
Now, you know, James said that it's the smallest part of our little bodies. Blessings and cursings coming out of the same mouth ought not, ought not be. So why was he saying it could have been a little stronger, don't you think? He could have said, you're a co-creator. Everything you say comes alive. What if we raised ourselves now as adults this way? You can't go back to your childhood. Did your parents say that to you? Now, baby, listen. Every single thing that comes out of your mouth, you're going to get. You're sowing. You're sowing. You're sowing. Would it have changed anything for you? Anybody? Well, now parent yourself then. Here we are. We're all adults, right? And, and, so, and so you get to parent yourself now. You get to say whatever I'm speaking. So here's the thing. When God is saying that, behold, I do a new thing, then let's, let's read where he gets that from, okay? Because this is a cool story. I think you're going to like it. Isaiah 43. He says, now this is what Yahweh says. Listen, Jacob, the one who created you, the one who shaped who you are, do not fear. For I, your kinsman, redeemer, will, will rescue you. Y'all have all been rescued, right? Yeah. I've called you by name. Right? right? So do you, see, do you see how the creation process works? It's right there, real plain, isn't it? He gave Adam the assignment to name the animals, and who has the assignment to name you? He does. He called you by name. Not your name that your earthly parents, they're just, you're just on loan to them. Listen, what name did God, the creator, give you? If you don't know that, you're not going to act out of that name. You're going to act out of this different identity. You know, when you're little, like I had it, when I was little, people would say, you're just like your grandma so-and-so. Well, see, as a little kid, I was looking at that going, oh, I really don't feel like that's a good thing, right? Because my definition of grandma so-and-so, from a kid's perspective, are you, are you, did anybody ever say that to you? Well, you see, I had to break that thing off. It was, it was innocent, but it was creative. It created something in me that I ran into when I got older. When I got older and I realized what God had called me to do, I ran into it. And it wanted me to do this right here. Because if I'm her, I can't be that. If I'm what they said, I can't be what he said because they do not go together. And so in that scripture came to life, whose report will you believe? I set before you life and death. Hint, choose life. Teresa, choose life. Well, yeah, but they said. And see, we all have to come to the place in our lives we're, we're at that crossroads. Some of y'all are here today at that crossroads. And so this is, this is the road to that. He said, I've called you by name. You're mine. So right there, he gives you an identity. 
and he gives you protection. Thank you, Father. Right? He rescued us. He called us by name. He said, I'm mine. Provision, protection, and identity right there, all in the Father. Every bit of it right there. Right? That's, all, that's what we all need. First and foremost, we want to know we're protected. We want to know we're going to be provided for. And we want to know who the heck we are. Isn't it true? So right there, it's really clear. Verse 2. This begins the journey of the guy doing the new thing. He's a God of through, not a God of out. Now I know as humanity... We want that, that, that's where the escapism theology came from. Get me the heck out of here, God. He says, no, see, I mature in the through. The just get me out mentality makes you small. And so here's his promise as he's training us in the through. When you pass through the deep stormy sea. So that's a promise. In this life, you're going to be on a stormy sea. Ever been on one? I've been on one. Have you ever been on one? Listen, I've been on one. I was reading Daniel Kuhlman, and he was talking about the word for I in the Hebrew. And he was talking about how, don't let me forget where I'm at. He was talking about whenever... Peter denied Jesus three times. He studied it out, and he said that three in that day, in that moment, was the order of completion. And so he said that in that last moment, he caught eyes. He caught the gaze of Jesus. And he said in that moment, I, 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 I want to read it to you real quick. He said, I actually have a picture of the Hebrew letter up there, if you want to put it up there. He said, the word for I itself is a pictographic and in letter form. It means I or to know or to think. Can you put that I one up there? Is it up there? Not yet. It's, it's to think. It's, he said, so be thinking about the tree of knowledge. In the modern Hebrew form, it actually depicts a line from presumably the cortex of the brain to two fixed points. Since you can't see it, let me show it to you. So here we are, the two fixed points. This is, right here it says, early Hebrew, middle Hebrew, late Hebrew, modern Hebrew. So this, this is this one letter means I. Okay, remember how in the vision word, which vision already, but remember she talked about the cortex and the whole, I mean, uh, the uh, optic nerve. The two points are indicative of the human eye. The modern Hebrew version signifies that as the receiver of a visual signal, signal, the eyes being the window, we just sang about it, letting in the signal or light. That's enough, right? Source actually connect the image to the mind where the emotions, he's saying about it, and soul of the person reside. Do you understand? We just sang this in worship. Come on, it has to blow your mind a little bit. Because they, they know I didn't talk to them. Y'all don't know. Y'all think we get back there and confer, I know. 
He said this was true with Peter. He caught the gaze of Jesus and it pierced his soul. So that's what he's saying is that sometimes it takes three events before the gaze of Jesus pierces us. I don't know where you are on that. I would say that was true. How many of y'all just kept, want, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, just had like an experience at five, and then you had another one like at 12, and you had another one at 16, and then finally something pierced in there. Do you remember? How many know that that's true? Remember we heard, um, uh, oh gosh, Hammond preach on this before, about the three events. But anyway, that was 500 years ago. There are two forms of knowledge at work in the world. There is the knowledge of good and evil that does not lead to wisdom. And then there's the knowledge of the kingdom that is all about wisdom and righteousness. And it leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that good? Sons of the Father are born for that knowledge. The book of Proverbs, which is a handbook for those walking in sonship, opens chapter 1 with a beautiful statement. The fear of the Lord Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise godly wisdom and instruction. When our eyes perceive the true Jesus, the true Christ, our souls are pierced. We look into the knowledge of the living God, and when we gaze upon Jesus, then we truly see Jesus, we also see the Father. When he said to Philip, Lord, show us the Father that we will know, uh, that, we, uh, that will be enough for us. And he said, Philip, I've been with you all this time. Still, you don't know me? Anyone who has, y'all know I preach on this. Anyone who has seen me see the, seeing the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Instead, it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. So consider this. When Jesus looked over to Peter as the rooster crowed, it was as Peter's loving father gazing upon his beloved wayward son. In Christ's eyes at that moment, bloodshot from the blows of the Roman soldier's fists, came a love so true. It shook Peter <clears throat> to his soon-to-be righteous soul. Therefore, when you gaze upon Christ, you also, in awesome wonder, do gaze into the eyes of your Heavenly Father as well. That is where the love of the Father to His Son that places you in right relationship that is the only source of love that enables you to walk in sonship. So they were singing about that whole process right there. And those in this room who have had those, those moments, and see, it's all unto something. Nothing, remember I started out with nothing is too hard for, for God. He is pursuing you to actually engage him in sonship, daughtership. And so back to our story in Isaiah 43. So he's called us, he's rescued us, he's given us this purpose, he's told us who we are, and now begins the journey of life. I love life. I've hurt in deep, deep ways, and I have rejoiced in deep, deep ways. That's life. 
I don't know who told us that it was. But see, something happened in me in the turbulent times. I found him to be somebody that I didn't know him before. You know, I walked with Cece through her, what she described in her vision as her greatest betrayal of her life. I've had a great betrayal and somebody walked it with me. But I remember the very first day that happened and most of y'all in here know what happened. I said to her, I know it's hard for you to hear me say this, but this was God. God is going to show you something. That vision was the culmination of that prophecy I gave to her day one. It's been almost two and a half years. But see, God was faithful. It doesn't mean that it wasn't stormy. There's been days where all she could do was cry. And all I could do, you know, you know how you want to say some magical words. <laughs> you know, you want to just say those things that says, you're going to be okay, baby. You're just going to be okay. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. But sometimes you just can't say nothing. And see, because I've been there, I became a steady force. That's what he's calling you to. Have you been through anything? Have you been through any crap? Anybody been through anything in their life? Anybody at all? No. Well, look at you now. I mean, you're not in it right now. Most of you that I know of anyway aren't in a bunch of crap right now. Maybe you are and I don't know and you're faking it. But listen, this is what he said. You can count on me. When you're passing through the deep storming, you can count on me. See, God didn't make the earth to not have trouble. He made the earth for you to have dominion over it. You're just learning to have dominion over it. You know when those little things used to happen? I had a little thing happen to me last night. It was really a quirky thing. I can't even tell it to you, but I will. If you ask me later, I'll tell you. This quirky thing happened to me because, you know, my whole thing is about physical stuff. And I had this quirky thing happen to me last night. And I thought to myself, what is going on? I almost panicked. But I didn't. How many know that's what happens? Like, remember when you used to panic over every little, right? My little dog is such a great example of a panicker. She's a little, y'all know, little scout. She's about this big. And I named my development company out of her, uh, named it Scout Developers because of her. And so, like, when I send her out, outside now we have this pool and it's making all kinds of noise, she won't go. So we developed this way for her to go out the window. Well, it's because I love her so. And so I built her little stairs. We had to, we had to put ice melt on them yesterday because I love her, because they were slick. I know. But listen, the other day she went out the other door, but she remembered Mama made me these stairs, and she went running up the stairs, but the window wasn't open. <laughs> And all you heard was this dunk. <laughs> but I knew. She knew her mama loved her. She knew she had made the way of escape from the big old bad pool. Right? That's him. That's God. He's like me. He made a little stairway. Right? Now, sometimes you run up there and dunk your head. But he said it right there. When you, you can count on me to be there with you. What? What? Would you go through in life that when God was with you, wouldn't matter? Yeah. 
Nothing would matter. It's really you coming into the realization that he's all around me. So it doesn't matter what I go through. It matters what I learned. It matters what did God become for me in this event. I mean, look back over your past. Just do it someday and say, what did I learn there? What did I learn there? Who did I know him to be? Who did I know him to be afterwards? Who do I know him to be now looking back on that event? When you pass through those raging rivers, you won't drown. That's good. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames. Been there? Anybody ever been persecuted? Anybody ever been made fun of? Let's go a little. Anybody ever been made fun of? Anybody? I've been made fun of all kinds of ways. I couldn't talk right. I went to speech class. I, it didn't take. <laughs> it did take because I couldn't say a bunch of letters. You know, I couldn't say the R, and all my cousins' names started with R. And I thought that that made me mad for a while, right? See that those things that people made fun of you about, God will turn to make them endearing to others. That's what He does. When you pass through persecution like fiery flames, you won't be burned. The flames won't hurt you, for I'm your Savior, Yahweh, your mighty God, the Holy One of Israel. Come on, that's a chant. People get you, put you in prison, they'll get you. You're my cherished and precious one in my eyes. I, I love you dearly, honor you willing, all that, all, all, all. And he goes all the way down, tells you all kinds of great things. And, and let's go down to verse something. Hold on. I didn't mark it. See, there was my climactic moment, and we missed it because I didn't write it down. There it is, verse 19. See, I knew I could find it. When you read it in these crazy versions. Verse 19. Let's do 18. Stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember those former things. 19. I'm doing something brand new. So, we love 19. Right? I don't have time to read you 1 through 17, but I read you a few verses. We love 19 because it sounds good. God is doing a new thing. But guess what? The pathway to the new thing was all those verses I just read to you. That's the God of the through. And, and see, when I get to 19, everything that has been shaped in me because of the previous life becomes honed to accept the new thing. Because guess what? If it's new to him, it's going to get you out of your comfort zone again. There's something about that we get, mankind likes to get into some kind of rut, some kind of known behavior. Remember, Cece said it so eloquently that she would rather God have given her something that she knew that her hands would be working toward to do. And he was like, no, the new thing for you yeah. is that I'm going to do this. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm going to fix all of that that was in your heart when that thing happened back there. I'm going to turn and flip that whole, that was all new for her. I mean, can I tell you, I could see that the whole time though. I tried to kind of get in there with, you know, how you just try to get in there. But it was, she needed to go through those first verses. She needed to find him to be faithful when it's rocky. She needed to realize it wasn't fatal. Whatever you need to realize, I don't know what it is for you. I propose extroverts and introverts, they have separate things they're dealing with. Right? Yes. 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 And so when we realize, I can't take your story. I can't say, well, Aubrey went through that. That's how it's going to look for me. And what God did for her, the way, because see, you don't really know the inner workings. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how afraid somebody was of the, of the roaring rapids when somebody else doesn't even care. I'm doing something brand new, something never heard of. Even now, it sprouts and grows and matures. Listen, the day that that happened to CC, that began this growth process. As painful as loss is, you were prepared for it. It's the hanging on to the old as if it will be resurrected that prolongs the revelation of I'm doing a new thing. He says, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. That's what he said to her. I'm going to do this thing. I will open up flowing streams. Wild beasts and owls will glorify me. For I supply streams of water in the desert and rivers to satisfy the thirst of my people, my chosen ones, so that you whom I have shaped and formed will proclaim, will proclaim my praise. Now what nobody knows is she didn't start singing on the platform until that thing happened. She was writing little songs in private. But see, there was a praise that God had planted in her. Planted in her belly. She didn't even know it. He waited. He waited until he had given her the strength, the rivers. Remember that pastor I said this yesterday, somebody in Sozo, don't do it until you just can't not do it. Why? Because see, there's a weight. If if you're gonna if you're gonna get up here on the platform and you're gonna sing prophetically, there's a weight. There's a weight to believe that God speaks in this way. There's a weight. And so all of that for two years happened to prepare the praise. Why would God do that? Why would God do all that just for some praise? Because he inhabits. Do you see? I don't know if you can see it. It's full circle. See, that's God turning all things and working all things together for good. 
You were made to worship. You were made to praise him. You were made to magnify him. You were made to put him in his place. The highest place in your life. And see, he didn't create all the storms. He doesn't have to. Why would he create a storm and then say, I'll be there with you? Why would he create sickness and then say, I'll be the healer? God doesn't work against himself. Right? I like in verse, let's, let's turn over to uh, Psalm 23. It says, Lord, even though your path takes me through the valley. He's a God of through. Listen, there's things in the valley you can't see on the mountaintop. Have you ever been to any beautiful places outdoors like Colorado? There's valleys and mountains there. There's pretty stuff in the valleys. There's pretty stuff in the mountains. There's hard stuff in the valleys. There's hard stuff in the mountains. It's not an indicator of God. I mean, the seasons of life should prove to us how God does life. God created a planet that it has an operational system that just goes on. So right now, did it freeze at your house last couple of nights? We got those beautiful um, spring and summer plants. So what do they look like this morning? They're on their way out. They are looking brown. Those ones that were beautiful and vibrant and pink and fuchsia and yellow, and we just took pictures of them, we put them all over our phones, and we look and look, now they're just brown. They're just brown. Like my house, they're brown. I don't want them brown. They're brown, right? Because why? They went through death. Right? They're not coming back. So that should teach us how God does life. There's seasons for those beautiful blooms that you had. Some of them, some of those seasons, that stuff doesn't ever come back. I know you want it to, especially if it was good. Have you had any good seasons yet? And you're like, oh, let's do some more. Let's, let's do some more. Let's just repeat that, right? So even when your path takes me through the valley, why is it like that? Because this is the road. God made this road this way. God made life to be a journey, and this is where the road leads. But no matter whether it's up high, down low, he's the same. Right? You take me through the valley, the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. How many have ever been through something and they know fear got the best of them? Anybody? Wow. That's a dark time, isn't it? How many went through something similar and then you realize, I'm not quite as afraid this time. And then you go through another one and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I actually kind of saw it in advance. Oh my gosh, he like actually even told me in advance this was coming. Like, and then you look back to those times way back and you're like, I think he told me way back then. I just didn't understand it. God does nothing without first telling his prophets, right? The enemy is always counterfeiting what God wants to do. He says, fear will never conquer me because you already have. What is, what is the thing that conquered us is love. 
Where there's love, where God is, there's love, right? And perfect love, God's love does what? It, ca- it actually casts it out. So that means that everything in life is an interaction with God's love. What level do I know it? If I have fear, I don't know it very much right there. He said, you remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Say all the way. All the way. He didn't just like leave you halfway and go, okay, you're good. I'll meet you on the other side. Why does he enjoy walking with us through this road so much? Because he's a father. That's what fathers do. Right? Your authority is my strength. What's his authority on the earth? Yeah, and and I was reading another thing that Daniel put out. He He talked a lot. He said that... The English word for dominion in Hebrew is R-A-D-A-H. It says the word means to have dominion, rule over, or tread upon. It says, so it makes the command to Joshua even more interesting. Remember Joshua, wherever you go, your foot shall tread, right? You'll have it. This is the land I'm going to give you. Yahweh is commanding his son to step on the earth to bring his authority down upon it at every single step. Okay, so translate that to your life, if you can. At work, you're just you're literally stepping on it, but you're spiritually stepping into something that does not know God's dominion, does not know God's authority. It is not operational there. That's why he sent you. See, we all want to work at a point... <laughs> I know y'all want to work at Desrim. We all want to work at a place where the owners are so conscientious of the supernatural. But guess what? That's this place. That's what we're doing here. We're in a rally time. This is rally time so that you can be infused with the power to take the authority of God and have dominion and rule in a place that does not have it now. And see, he does that He doesn't ask you your permission. How many can honestly say you feel like you're not qualified for the job that you're in currently? Super. It's a beautiful thing. You're in the perfect place. If you ever start feeling qualified, be scared. That's not the goal. Listen to my words today. It's not your confidence has got to be in his placement, not in your ability. If you're if you if you honestly do not feel equipped, it's not a bad thing. It's actually the understanding that God has planted me here for a reason. To carry out what he just said. Every place God is commanding you as his son and daughter to go to a place that doesn't know him. And to carry his presence. And don't let it go. Take the keys. Don't drop them. Don't leave them in the car. And to become aware of what your presence does in this place. And begin to speak over it what God says doesn't exist yet. Begin to name it. Begin to give it definition. Begin to say. Listen, if you're at a place where there's offices or classrooms or buildings or whatever... 
Every time you go to the break room or every time you walk by, you should be speaking to each one of those rooms. In the name of Jesus right here, I bring the dominion of God. I say this is going to be filled with God. I say God's presence is going to be in this room. You should be doing that every day. That's why you're there. See, we get so caught up in the function of why we're there, we don't understand we're watchmen with sensitivities of the Spirit to declare what the Holy Spirit wants in that place. See, that word dominion is the root word for governing. Listen, God wants to govern the hearts of man. And so if I take back the territory for him, it doesn't matter how they're, how they're acting. Listen, it matters not what people are saying, what people are doing, or how they're acting. They're just acting like they're who they're fathered by. Don't get caught up in how they're acting and how you're not having any effect or influence. None of this is for, on an earthly level. Your battle isn't against those people. It's not with those people. It's not about those people. It's about taking down the principality that rules over that place. And that's governing. And so we get caught up in the actions of people versus the Spirit of God who is aching, groaning, yearning, has an urgency on his heart that says, this is the time because you're here. And you need to get up every day and look at yourself in the mirror and say, such a time as this, I'm here. For such a time as this, I was born. For such a time as this, I'm going to that place. For such a time as this, I'm going to make a difference. For such a time as this, there's going to change. I don't care if it's a tiny corporation or a great big corporation. I don't care if it's been here for a million years or it just started last week. It's meant to be governed by the God, by the God of the universe. And your feet carry the authority because you're sitting in here today and you hear it. You don't need some other qualification. The qualification is you're here hearing it. And your faith in you is like, mm, mm. what she's saying, my, my, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm doing, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm, I'm meant to do that thing. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm tired of being around all of this other stuff. I'm doing that. Remember when Joshua, he went through. I love Joshua. He had so much faith. Hey. Let's just camp out here and build a big old altar right here in the middle of where all this water's put back. We'll just make a place here. We don't care. He already knew the priest should go for it. He was like, y'all shut up. If you're not with me, just shut up. Who, that little you, that other little you in there, that one that's a little bit negative, that one that's like, well, I don't even know how that's going to happen, really. Tell her to just shut up. I have to tell her to sit down every now and then. That's right. I have a little physical thing happen, and I'm like, you just need to sit down over there. Right? Look, he just said, this is Daniel still. He said um, that humans are being invited to walk in to a place and take dominion. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. He's saying, hey, Everything I have, where I send you today, you go to Target today, Target needs this, right? 
We, as I believe as Americans, as consumers, we, we have relegated to saying, well, this is just the way it is. But you know, Cece said it last week. God said, this is the time. God put his finger down and he said, I'm about to display myself. You don't even have to try that hard. Listen, use the tool God gave you, which is your little wagon tongue. Honestly, how many have ever said a negative thing about where they work? You've got to repent. You start to think about you and how that affects you, how comfortable you feel there, how qualified you feel there, probably. It's some sort of fear. Just right now, let me just help you right now. So just close your eyes. Just say in the name of Jesus, I just repent for seeing, for not having the eyes of the Spirit to see my job the way you want me to. And so I say no more. I say, I will take my dominion and authority to work with me tomorrow and I will be bold and I will speak with this mouth of mine out loud, creative words in Jesus name. Are you going to come? Okay. Let me read one more verse and then Cece's going to come. I started to start out with this second Peter. Wasn't that where I was at? Second Peter 3. Oh, I have so many scriptures. Can we just stay and read scripture the rest of the day? Just kidding. I know some of you are hungry. Not me. Let's see. I want to read you. Sorry, if it wasn't for me just having to sort through so many scriptures. Let's go down to 11, shall we? Now you can read the rest of it right on your own. I want to give you a little um, preliminary verse. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come and take everyone by surprise. Now, now listen, if you grew up in a theology about escapism, then you have a wrong definition about what the day of the Lord is, okay? Okay? Yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's just act like that it's just going to be tomorrow. Okay, the day of the Lord, just let me help you. This is going to be tomorrow. Like, you shouldn't even care, but it's going to be tomorrow. And he's just basically going to come down with all kinds of glory. Okay, and you're going to get to be here. Let's just act like it's that. Okay, so he says, since all the things are on the verge of being dismantled. I bet if the glory came and you went to work and you were a shining piece of glory, I bet you would have a little more boldness. Uh. Everything you touched, people were just falling down, slain in the spirit. Wouldn't you be like, hey, it's a cool gig. Come here. I'll just touch, let me just touch stuff. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Listen. Uh, no, no, no. That's, can't go there. Can't go there. Since things are on the verge of being dismantled. Don't you see how, I like you so much, don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? We must be consumed with godliness while we anticipate and help to speed up the coming day of the Lord. Listen, do you see that word? 
consumed. I know y'all think it's okay just to like hear an hour there, an hour. No, like it, it's got to be a consumption. Like I wake up in the middle of the night just talking to Jesus saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You, that you've got to be consumed with him. And the way you become consumed with him is you do a lot of things that have to do with him. Like when you have a conversation, talk about him. Yeah. Right? When you go to lunch with someone, talk about him. Yeah. It says, mm, help the speed of the day, Lord. When the atmosphere will be set on fire. Ooh, I just can't wait. And heavenly bodies are set ablaze. That means all the angels are going to be on fire. Don't you love that? But as we wait... We trust in God's royal proclamation to be fulfilled. There are coming heavens new in quality and an earth new in quality. Here's my key. Where righteousness will be fully at home. That's the key. What I, that commercial on righteousness I just gave you on what is today? Wednesday. The gift is looking for a home. If right, if you understand you have the gift of righteousness, the right way to do things, then that thing that I just read about, the day of the Lord is nigh, is coming. Come on, Mendel. Thank you, Tisa. What a powerful message. Wow, so good. I can't wait to listen to it again. Wow, I was getting pinged so many. Just, yeah, just pretty much every sentence. Um, I was reading in the Song of Songs last night in, in the Sacred Journey, and I'm seeing some parallels I just wanted to share with you um, from that with what uh, Tisa um, spoke on today. I think that, um, and also, actually, I was reading in the middle of the night when I was not sleeping, a word um, the Elijah list just sent out from Todd White. And one of the things he was saying is that we're, we're in a time where we're going to have to get to the point of being willing to speak up and say something. We're going to have to be willing to see something and say that ought not be. And that does not glorify God. You know, so I'm going to say something about it. And now, like Tisa said, it may be just saying something in prayer. It's not, you know, you have to use discernment. It doesn't mean everybody should go wild and just start confronting everybody and calling everybody out. But, you know, I have to give that disclaimer for all of you who are eager to do that. But, <laughs> but, but a lot of us are intimidated in those moments by what we see in the culture, you know, what we see going on in the world. And so we don't want to make people mad or, you know, rock the boat. And so, but we've got to get to a point where when he's prompting us to say something, we are willing to say something. And we've got to do it with, like she said, with the authority, knowing our authority and be saying it in partnership with his authority and his power. And so I was reading in um, Song of Songs, uh, and it really talks about in this point about where you get that authority and power. And Tisa covered all of this today, but I just want to highlight it through a different, a different angle. So in Song of Songs 4, there's a place where the Shulamite says, I've made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come, in spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you. 
in spite of shadows and fears. The mountain of suffering love in the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. Now, this the interesting thing here in the sacred journey, it flushes it out even more about how this is the moment where we, when God's doing a new thing, we we come up to a place where he's inviting us to do a new thing, but we have that choice to make. Tessa described it very well in her scenario, where we she could have, out of fear, stayed in that place of condemnation and continued to um, war with the new thing. Because the new thing quite often can be kind of scary for us, for whatever reason. It can trigger fears and all sorts of things about our equations we've developed and all of that. And so this is a point where the Shulamite in Song of Songs had previously said, no, you go on up to the mountaintop without me this time, you know, come back and try me later. I'm enjoying myself right here. And so at this point in chapter four, verse six, the Shulamite says, no, I've made up my mind until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come in spite of shadows and fears. We can't, we've got to get to this point. We can't sit back and wait for the fear to be gone, wait for the shadows to not be there anymore before we advance with him to the new thing. Because it's actually the mountaintop where we get refined, where we get training in discipleship to learn our authority and power. There's so many great lines in the sacred journey. It says, uh, one of them is, this is the love of Jesus that will demolish strongholds of rejection and the negative thoughts that are entrenched in human hearts. He goes on to say, in, in the sacred journey, it flushes it out there. It is where that those places of fear that have our strongholds in us, those places of doubt where we don't know our authority or we're under, um, you know, the strong arm of fear, that it's his love and going to the mountaintop where that is actually flushed out, where that is actually. So that's the demonstration right there. I will go to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love. That means we, and this is referring to um, being willing to carry the cross like Jesus did, you know. And I know for me, that line in Christianity, you, know, you got to be willing to bear the cross, was scary to me as someone new to the kingdom because I was like, no, God, I thought you were all about all the promises, you know, all the good stuff, not, and you're loving God, so why would you want to make me suffer? You know, that didn't make sense to me. And so I think a lot of people have gotten stuck there thinking that, well, because it's afraid, because it feels out of my com comfort zone, that isn't you, because I know you to be a loving father. But we've got to understand that's discipline, that's um, discipleship, that's how we are trained and parented, just like we have to, our kids experience things where we they think we're mean, you know, because we are training them in a way, something that's good for them. And as Tisa said today, God doesn't create the suffering, but he will take any suffering that comes to our way just because of life, because of the world we live in, and he will turn it into a training tool for you and, a, and, and an elevation opportunity for you. And so I love that line. It's in spite of the shadows and fears, I will go with you because there's such value in going and ascending with him and having that vision, which is what we've been talking about from the throne room. It says that um, he talks in the, in the sacred journey about how that's where all of the confusion of the things of God in the past get washed away. Everything gets, becomes clear. And when you have clarity, you feel more strong, more solid, right? And so clarity is something we want to um, say yes to. 
So in the, in the next line, the bridegroom king says, every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within, which I love that because we're just saying, in spite of all these shadows I see and this fear I have, I'm going. And he's like, you're perfect. perfect. You've got no flaw. You know, that's Jesus for you right there. Without flaw within. You know, some we're, we think we can maybe look good on the outside, but he's like, no, even though you're telling me you're afraid, you have no flaw within you. And so he says, now you are ready, my bride. Now, I think it's interesting. This is the first place in the story of the Song of Songs where she is called the bride. And when you say yes to going through the difficulty, yes to going through the scary thing, to go ascend the mountaintop, that's when you really take another step forward to becoming the bride. Prior to that, you're not. This is the first time she's called a bride. And she, she, right before that, right, she said, I will be your bride. That's the moment when she concedes and says, yes, I'll go. So now you are ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. We will look down from the crest of the glistening mount and from the summit of our sublime sanctuary. Together, we will wage war in the lion's den and the leopard's lair as they watch nightly for their prey. So, of course, this is chock full of all sorts of stuff, but this part just got me last night. We will look down from the crest of the glistening mounts, right? We've said yes, we go to the mountaintop. Up here from the crest, it says in the footnote here that in the Hebrew, it's the crest of Amana. Now, Amana comes from a Hebrew root word, which we get the English word, amen. This is also one of the Hebrew words for faith, which we're on this month, of course. Amen and faith. The crest of Amana is the realm where all of God's promises are kept and realized. Amana can also be translated a place of settled security. Now, in the in my paperback version of this, it also talked about how this was a reference to covenant, okay? Saying amen in the crest of Amana and the faith was a reference to covenant. We've got to remember when we come up to these moments where we're invited to go up higher that we are in a covenant with him. We are in a covenant with him where he has made the promise of saying, everything I have is yours. As my bride, everything that I, Jesus, have is yours. I give you everything. So this is where it's important to remember that we are not orphans and we are not alone in our smallness trying to go climb a mountain. We have been supplied with everything we need to go up to the mountain and endure whatever comes along the way in that discipling process. So it's the word for amen and faith. And it's the realm where God's promises are kept and realized. What this showed me is that if I refuse to go up to the mountaintop, then I stay down where it's just a fantasy. His promises are just a fantasy that I don't really know if it's true or not. It's just something I'm hoping is true, but I've never experienced it and I won't know it. Because it's the crest of Amana at the mountaintop is where his promises are kept. That's where his promises live and where he he follows through on his promises and we realize the promises are true. 
So it makes this makes the invitation to go to the mountaintop a lot more inviting to me. And so what I'm personally going to do is that when I go out into my day and I bump up against a new thing, and I feel that kind of hesitation or awkwardness coming up in me, I'm going to remember, no, this is a place where the promises are kept and realized. This choice before me is a place where the promises are kept and realized. I've got to reframe what the mountain is. You know, we don't want to just say, speak to the mountain and get out of my way, get behind me, Satan. There's something in there for us to ascend and get to. And I want to find that place. I want to go to that place with him where his promises are kept and realized. It says, Amana can also be translated a place of settled security. That speaks to me again of, of a settled security in the sense that it's settled in me once and for all that I'm secure. The, the case is closed. I'm secure. My security is already established. It's settled. It's not just a hope. It's not just a fantasy. It's not something I'm crossing my fingers and toes for. It's settled security. So that frames the invitation to do the new thing in a brand new way that I think would empower us in those moments to say yes to him like the Shulamite did. And of course, if you haven't read The Sacred Journey, and you know, I would encourage you to read that. It, it um, describes the process so beautifully, but this part will um, really takes you through all that his invitation to go to the mountaintop describes uh, is really inviting us to. It talks about he's saying, if you will just glance at him, how moved he is by just a glance from you. And it, there was a line in there that I read last night that was especially moving that said that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, your glance to him in that moment inflames his heart. And I just pictured it all of a sudden where I was sitting there and whatever the thing was that was causing me pain is right here, but he was right here too. And he was just saying, just, just look this way. And, and it inflamed his heart with love just to look at him. And of course, that's what we sang about today is that when we gaze on him, that's when we are forever changed. And there's another line in the sacred journey that talks about how you can lean into him in that moment. And I had this whole encounter last night about where you can, you can lean onto the chest of Jesus from your pace, place of pain. And that is another um, aspect of gazing at him where all of that is transformed and you experiences the promises kept. You experience that place of realized promises. So, Papa, I just want to say thank you for this message today. And I thank you that for giving us an example today of where we can go in Scripture to even revisit and go over your promises, that Isaiah 43 is chocked full of promises about what will happen in this process. So I just ask that you would move on the people's hearts and that you would highlight for them places where you have spoken promises over them already and that you would draw their attention to them and give them that unction to spend a little time focusing on what you have already said, of what you have already promised, and that this process of focusing on your promises would then encourage them and give them courage within to take the step to go to the mountaintop with him. And so I just bless this process, and I just know you're in it, Papa. I know that you've given us this word because you have already pre-provided everything we need. If everything that is in our future right now in the days and weeks ahead has already been pre-provided for. And so I thank you for this word, for this focus and this direction to take the right step with you and say yes, as the Shulamite did. We will be your bride. We will be your bride. We will be your bride on earth. 
and we will call down heaven. I have to share this one other thing I almost forgot. He told me this, all that's going on in the culture today, in the world today, as I said, we're going to have to be able to take a stand and say something at some point, whether it's verbally or with our choices, whatever it is, right? I don't think that it's any coincidence that if uh, this is not a a statement about election fraud, okay, but everybody knows there's stuff going on, right, where there's election fraud being, um, there's been accusations of election fraud, and in my opinion, a lot of proof. Anyways, the um, machines used for the election that are supposedly being tampered with are come from a company called Dominion. They are Dominion machines. And that is no coincidence to me that there is a battle for dominion in this culture right now, in our world right now. And so this emphasis on dominion and really telling us what it is, I think, is also timely because there is something at works that is trying to have dominion, okay, an election machine that is trying to establish who our government is and establish the rules of our land and how our, our culture and all that is called dominion. And if, if the enemy always tries to, you know, flip everything that God's going to do, he does a perverted version of it. So just know we it's through our dominion that new laws will be established, that appropriate governments will be established, that the government of God will be represented on earth well, and that kingdom culture will become our culture. I had to get that in there. So, Papa, we just say thank you. We thank you. Thank you. We will be your bride. We will go forth and take dominion over all that we see. So we just bless this word. I bless the people. Thank you for making it personal, Papa. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. 